As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. They tried to come down to the range and take the mechanical bull back to Delaware. But I said, no, not unless you can ride it. It's high noon. For Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gab and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm Your Moderator or you can join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. If you want some merch, go to www.cancelcotour.com. Now, it's the 48th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. He is also the patriarch of one of the most corrupt and awful families in American history. He is a man who apparently can't be trusted to have his dogs in the White House. And he's the father of one of the most despicable sons in the history of humanity. So congratulations, communists. It's probably now only a matter of days before Joe Biden gets sent back to Delaware 
for trying to bite people. Now, apparently, Joe Biden's dog, Major, a German shepherd, attempted to bite someone in the White House. I find that extremely hard to believe, but the dogs apparently have been shipped back to Delaware. I guess maybe that's what that enormous motorcade at the White House this morning was for. I don't think it's for Joe Biden. I'm not sure what he has scheduled besides naps. Maybe he's going back to Wilmington with them. He should be put in prison or a care home. Prison, obviously, for the five decades of crime and treason and the care home thing because the guy can't talk in full sentences. It is so embarrassing. And I guess Thursday night they're going to try to uh, prop him up in front of a podium and have him give a speech to America commemorating the coronavirus lockdown. Like one year of coronavirus. What are we supposed to do? Thank him? Like, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Democrats, for being so complicit in Chinese communism and so compromised and so ultimately evil that you took a virus that can kill one or two out of a thousand people, all of them being old with multiple comorbidities and over three quarters of them being obese and use it to absolutely dismantle society, destroy an economy, ruin an entire generation of children who don't have access to education. Now they don't have access to other children. They are being taught to be scared of everyone, particularly people who aren't wearing masks which is absolute cruelty teaching the anger of these communist parents to their innocent children is child abuse. And it'll be seen as such in 10 years or 20 years when these maskies develop and can't deal with normal life. Fucking maskies, man. Don't marry a maskie. Don't turn your kids into maskies. If you already married a maskie, don't do it. There's no science There's no reason whatsoever you are ruining your children's lives. And if you can't see that, I don't know what's wrong with you. All of these helicopter parents so scared that something might something bad might happen to their child. Hey, parents, the bad thing happening to your child is being around you all the time. Honestly. If that sounds offensive, I'm sorry. This is not how children used to be raised. Their parents didn't try to round off every corner of the world at every possible turn so that they would never have to feel like something went wrong for their child and maybe it's their fault. Hey, if you don't understand that some of it's going to be your fault, don't have kids. My dog hurt his leg once because he jumped off 
a a cushion that was up on top of my couch and it was too high. He shouldn't have jumped off of it. I don't know why he did. But the truth is, I could have prevented that by not letting him get on it. He just likes to climb things. And I should have thought while he was on the couch, oh, maybe he's going to climb that and then jump down. He could hurt himself. But he hurt his leg. And that was partially my fault. I just have to deal with that. I love him more than anything in the entire world. But I have to carry him up and down the stairs for two or three months until he was able to use it again. And now he's fine. He's jumping and running. But that was a couple of years ago. It bothered him for a long time. And I felt terrible about that. That stuff happens because we can't all be perfect all the time. I don't know how parents think that this is good for their children. They have to know that they are not protecting their kids. Pushing off the role and the job of parenting onto the CDC and onto the media and onto television and onto Hollywood for fuck's sake. That's an abdication of moral duty. And that's happening all over the country. It's no wonder why we get children who grow up to do the things that are tearing down this society right now. They're scared of words. They're scared of ideas. They're scared of listening to evidence for an idea because they're concerned that they might adopt the idea and then be ejected from polite society. That's the state of adulthood, millennial and and Zoomer adulthood in America right now. That's sad. I don't know how I got off onto that tangent. I wasn't planning it. This was about Joe Biden's dog. Is Joe Biden in the White House? No one knows. Has he ever been there? Maybe. What is going on with this world right now? Everything is so crazy. And again, if you're copacetic on all this as I am, you can watch it and be entertained by it. Because I already, I mean, I think that the the result is a lock. I think we have won. Or if we haven't won in the past tense, we have put the game out of reach, which some people might describe as having won. It is going in our direction. It's not as fast as we like, but it's going in our direction. It's not going in their direction except by force. And every time that force is used, more people wake up to how disastrous this is and to how disastrous their decision to help put this into place is enough people will realize enough people are realizing it's going our way so speaking of people realizing new things i have two articles today about studies that have come out recently regarding the narrative around racism okay because we're about to get way back into this nonsense real soon, as soon as the uh, the George Floyd trial begins and the riots begin again. And we have to hear communists on television telling us that this is all justified violence 
for Derek Chauvin getting acquitted of murder. And again, I don't have to speak in any positive way about Derek Chauvin or about what he did or could have done in that situation. What he could have done better, I should say. To know that when a man has an autopsy that says he died from a fentanyl overdose, it's pretty difficult to convict a man of for murder because he was kneeling on his shoulder. That's a tough, tough argument to make. So you can assume, and again, I said this last spring, or I guess summer by the time the George Floyd stuff was really happening. There's no way anyone is getting convicted for murder in this situation. All right. The hold he had on George Floyd was a recommended hold for people acting like George Floyd was acting. Okay. George Floyd is a big man who was resisting arrest. It's not murder. There's no definition of murder that fits this. And that's why Keith Ellison and the rest of the state prosecutors in Minnesota should have never pursued these charges. They could have gone for something else. They didn't. They're pursuing a charge they know they know they can't convict on. Why would you do that? Well, it's obviously messaging. And you can say, well, because these should be tried as murder. Maybe that'll discourage it for the next time. Well, that's a very dumb argument. And I'm sure people will make it. But maybe the argument is that you bring him up on charges you know you can't convict on because the not guilty is better at achieving your goal. And I think that's what we have here. And that's sick. But it's still going to happen. I mean, isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that we can know that there will be race riots based on entirely false premises weeks or months before they happen? It shouldn't be like that, right? It definitely... 100% should not be like that. We are told that protests and the riots that we're told are sparked by the protests are all organic. They're all grassroots. Black Lives Matter doesn't organize these things. They merely have a network of people who are so convinced of the righteousness of their cause that they'll just show up to all the events whenever there's a need for black lives matter protesters they're always there can any of them explain any of these cases nope are you ready for some more antifa we better hope that the national guard is going to be in full control of that one because otherwise, we have another summer of rampant communist violence and domestic terrorism to look forward to. Maybe we should build walls with razor wire around our homes and businesses. 
That's what the communists want, isn't it? Put razor wire around everything. Then no one can go anywhere unless you're an illegal immigrant at our southern border where we don't need a wall with razor wire or anything else to protect the country. Because walls don't work on the border, but they do work everywhere else, apparently. So here's the article. I mentioned it yesterday, but was not able to get to it. Oh, and by the way, um, thank you to uh, Ramin Askui, who popped by the, uh, the channel on Telegram today in the discussion thread to weigh in a little bit about uh, me reading and discussing their debunking of the CDC's nonsense uh, mask mandate study. That was awesome. And uh, hopefully one day he will join me on the podcast. Um, Wall Street Journal opinion, Biden claiming systemic racism in policing defies science. A detailed new report shows no racial disparities in crimes committed versus arrests made. This is by Jeffrey H. Anderson. This is March 5th. So this is from Friday, right? Absolutely. President Biden said last year when a reporter asked him if he believes there's, quote, systemic racism in law enforcement. That's hard to square with a presidential memorandum Mr. Biden recently issued, stating, quote, it is the policy of my administration to make evidence based decisions guided by the best available science and data. The claim of systemic racism in law enforcement defies the best available science and data. In a report released days before Mr. Biden's inauguration, the Justice Department's Bureau of Justice Statistics examined whether people of different races were arrested to a degree that was disproportionate to their involvement in crime. The report concluded that there was no statistically significant difference by race between how likely people were to commit serious violent crimes and how likely they were to be arrested. In other words, the data suggested that police officers and sheriff's deputies focus on criminal actions, not their race. The BJS report did not take cops word for who commits crimes. Rather, it relied on victims own accounts of who committed crimes against them, as reported through BJS's National Crime Victimization Survey. The NCVS, which dates to the Nixon administration, is the nation's largest crime survey. Its results are based on about 250,000 interviews annually with U.S. residents who are asked whether they were victims of crime within the past six months. In addition, the NCVS gathers data on who actually commits crimes, according to the victims, thereby providing an independent source of data not reliant on police records. The new BJS report took victims' responses on the 2018 NCVS and compared them with arrest rates by police supplied by the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program. It found that for non-fatal violent crimes that victims said were reported to police, whites accounted for 48% of offenders and 46% of arrestees. Blacks accounted for 35% of offenders and 33% of arrestees. Asians accounted for 2% of offenders and 1% of arrestees. None of these differences between the percentage of offenders and the percentage of arrestees of a given race were statistically significant. The data is limited to non-fatal crimes because murder victims cannot identify their assailants. Those statistics exclude Hispanics. The White House Office of Management and Budget classified Hispanics as an ethnic uh, rather than a racial group. 
Hispanics made up 13% of offenders and 18% of arrestees, a statistically significant difference. But because about 10% of victims were unable to determine whether their assailants were Hispanic or not, it is likely that victims classified some Hispanic offenders as white or perhaps black rather than Hispanic. Got it? So people who were saying who it was that attacked them might have sometimes called people who are Hispanic, black or white. Okay? So it's kind of just an evening force on the numbers overall, right? When removing simple assault, which generally isn't prosecuted as a felony, and focusing solely on the more serious non-fatal crimes reported to police, rape or sexual assault, robbery, and aggravated assault, Whites made up 41% of offenders and 39% of arrestees. Blacks made up 43% of offenders and 36% of arrestees. Asians made up 2.5% of offenders and 1.5% of arrestees. Again, none of the differences between offenders and arrestees by race were statistically significant. Hispanics accounted for 12% of offenders and 21% of arrestees, which was significant, uh, statistically significant. But again, victims not knowing the ethnicity of their assailants, even if they knew their race, to quote the BGS report, may have resulted in some underestimates of Hispanic offenders involvement in violent crime. These statistics don't indicate that police officers are never racist. Individual officers, like people in any profession, run the gamut from laudable to deplorable. But what they do show is that Mr. Biden's claim of systemic racism in American police forces is contrary to the best data we have on the subject. It's good news that police are arresting those who actually commit crimes and that the data doesn't support the claim of systemic racism. In his inaugural address, Mr. Biden emphasized the need for unity and said that demonization has long torn us apart. Yet the president's demonization of America as a land of systemic racism, a claim that he roots in the alleged racism of police, contradicts the evidence. It would be more accurate as well as more unifying, to refer to America as what it has always aspired to be and what the data generally shows it to be, a land of justice. Thank you, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson was the director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics from 2017 to 2021. So that, again, is pretty conclusive, right? If someone wants to debunk this, I'll happily read it. But this does make sense with what we see in the rest of the data. The data does not support the Black Lives Matter claims, nor the Black Lives Matter agenda, which is really the same as the climate change agenda and the Democrat communist agenda. They are all the same thing, which is why they all have the same issues with the same solutions. Okay. And that's why they always mix the issues. Like environmental justice is supposedly part of the climate change initiative, even though environmental justice is not a phrase that makes any sense and doesn't have anything to do with climate change. So that's just a way for them to smuggle the race narrative into the climate narrative where it doesn't belong. Now, study number two. This is from Breitbart. Uh, it's obviously reported elsewhere. This just seemed like a good write-up of it. 
Um, this is from the 3rd of March, so one week ago. Alan Bakari, uh, exclusive unreleased federal report concludes no evidence that free speech online causes hate crimes. Of course it doesn't. Freedom of speech on the Internet did not lead to a rise in hate crimes, according to a report sent from the U.S. Department of Commerce to Congress in January, a report that has yet to appear on any government website. Breitbart News has obtained a copy of the report, which is published in full below. And that's correct. You guys can just go to this article. The report is in there if you want to read it. But sources close to the government say they are baffled as to why it wasn't released publicly after being sent to Congress. Yes, truly baffled. The report was prepared by the Department of Commerce's National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which is responsible for advising the president on all matters related to telecommunication and the Internet. It was drafted to revise the findings of a previous report from NTIA in 1993 titled The Role of Telecommunications in Hate Crimes. Although it was prepared under the Trump administration, the request to revise the report came from the 116th Congress, which was controlled by a 35-seat Democrat majority in the House and only a slim Republican majority in the Senate. The 1993 report is still publicly available on the web, but the latest version or the latest revision to its findings is not. Sources who were close to the drafting and approval process suspect that bureaucrats and establishment politicians with a vested interest in the hate crimes panic are trying to suppress it because its conclusions challenge popular media narratives alleging a rise in Internet inspired hate crimes. Reports like this are typically made public, said a, said a source who worked closely with the NTIA on the report. I don't know why this report isn't up on a government website yet. It's already been submitted to Congress. It's not a private thing anymore. I suspect the Civil Rights Division might have something to do with it. According to the source who formerly worked in the Trump administration, the updated report was bitterly opposed by the Civil Rights Division, which is the part of the DOJ responsible for prosecuting hate crimes. The Civil Rights Division said the source is also at the forefront of, quote, efforts to drum up hysteria and over white nationalist extremism in the U.S. Despite its opposition, however, the report was approved by the Office of Management and Budget and sent to Congress. But the report does not publicly appear on any website. No one in Congress has mentioned it, and the press has not reported on its findings until now. The report bluntly states that there is no evidence of a causal relationship between the growth in Internet usage and hate crimes, pointing out that there is not even any correlation as media allegations about a surge in hate crimes over the past five years are not supported by the Justice Department's crime statistics. And we know this is true, right? So there was an initiative under Obama to reclassify these uh, hate crimes, and they did the same thing with uh, terrorist incidents and domestic terrorism. They're trying to make the case that all of these incidents that they're discussing are white supremacy, white nationalist, whatever else they want to call it. They have so many names. But it's just not true. It's just not true. From the report, the evidence does not show that during the last decade, a time of expansive growth of electronic communications, particularly on the Internet and mobile devices, as well as social media, there has been a rise in hate crime incidents. It doesn't. OK, this is the government's own report commissioned by Democrats. The report also warns that efforts to clamp down on online communications over unfounded concerns about hate crimes will undermine First Amendment values, obviously, and that's why they do it. 
They pass everything on the race narrative. They use things like hate crimes and domestic white nationalist terrorism and all these catchphrases that they have. They use all these to justify the race narrative. And then since they want to shut down free speech, they claim that free speech on the Internet, which the things that they don't like are reclassified as hate speech are the real culprit here. So they're, they're claiming a gain where there isn't one and then uh, attributing that gain to people who say bad things online. So now they not only need to tighten their controls in terms of the, the, the crime element, actually be investigating people more for complicity in this crime that doesn't exist the way they say it does, but they'll also do it on a more massive scale to people who have nothing to do with anything even remotely approaching a crime. And they'll use, again, the race, the racial violence narrative to justify it. All right. Like if you don't see that in Twitter and Facebook, that just means you're not on Twitter and Facebook or Instagram or any of the others. You know what I'm saying? From the report, we caution that efforts to control or monitor online speech, even for the worthy goal of reducing crime, presents serious First Amendment concerns and runs counter to our nation's dedication to free expression. To quote President Barack Obama, the strongest weapon against hateful speech is not repression. It is more speech. Oh, really? I wonder if someone could ask Barack Obama that again. If we had a responsible media, imagine the questions that they would ask to Democrat politicians. They might follow up occasionally and see if the things those politicians say are actually true. Or if when they get their way politically and pass their initiatives, hey, why didn't that work? Hey, you know, I know Democrat politician, sorry, communist, that you're saying the best way to solve racism is to elect only Democrats, right? But we actually have that in a bunch of places. And it seems like, you know, I'm, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But it seems like those urban environments that you say you're solving racism in to help everything, seems like you haven't solved anything in a good 50 or 60 or 100 years. Why is that? communist. Why don't we have a reporter that can say that? Why don't we have a reporter that makes the Democrats address that part of their narrative? That should exist. But it can't because no one's allowed to ask them bad questions. And even if one of them gave them gave an honest answer, that honest answer would be removed from the Internet. Can't have too much honesty especially not from anyone in the party of false decorum going on. The report also criticizes academic quote, extremism researchers for failing to back up their assertions of a causal link between online hate speech and real world hate crime from the report. 
This research, and much like it, fails to demonstrate any causal relationship between increased social media use and increased violence. The research does not present even comprehensive descriptive data correlating increased hate speech on social media with increased hate crimes. So not only no proof, not even a correlation. Which is saying that either there is no increase in hate speech or there is no increase in hate crime. Right. Or or there's none of either. There's no connection here whatsoever. Finally, the report issues a blistering condemnation of Silicon Valley companies for using the hate speech panic to undermine freedom of expression on their platforms. From the report, Clay Neff reported that tech leaders have recognized that relying on human teams alone to review content will not be enough and that artificial intelligence will have to play a significant role. That said, there are, of course, significant policy and practical limitations to reliance on automated content moderation. Interestingly, much of this technology is being developed from approaches pioneered by the Chinese Communist Party to stifle political discussion and dissent. Shocker. Given that all the major social media platforms have rules against hate speech and, in fact, employ sophisticated algorithmic artificial intelligence approaches to enforce these often vague and contradictory rules in a manner also used by tyrannous regimes, it's appropriate to ask what they gain from it. Certainly, as this report shows, the platforms have no reasonable expectation that their censorship will end hate crimes or even diminish it as no empirical evidence exists linking increased hate speech with hate crimes. Further, this censorship poses real dangers to our political system. Under the hate speech prohibitions and other censorship rules, the platforms have removed content that many consider seriously engaged with pressing political and social issues. Breitbart has reached out to the NTIA and the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division for comment. That is rather astounding. Again, that's not Breitbart saying this stuff. Breitbart is merely reporting it. The report, the study, that's what says it. And those are all government organizations. It's time we begin to kick these ideas directly to the curb. There is a reason that the article is not posted. This happens all the time. You know, when I used to be in my uh, not red-pilled brain, when I didn't see any of this as I do now, when I just believed the media narratives and thought, oh, you know, maybe they're like exaggerating, but still the underlying narrative is true or else they couldn't possibly be saying it. Well, that's totally wrong. The underlying narrative is completely false. They are using racial issues to institute the policies they wanted to institute anyway. That's why they explain things like the need for HR one on the basis of race. They say, if you're against HR one, then you are for voter suppression and voter suppression to them means that you are racist. It doesn't mean you don't want 5 million extra ballots sent out in California or Michigan, or Pennsylvania. It doesn't mean that. It means you're racist. Because they believe that black people and Hispanic people cannot get ID and cannot get online. And they say those things. 
the idea (laughs) that our side is the racist one is utterly fucking nuts. Their side started the KKK, right? Their side was Jim Crow. Their side was against the Civil Rights Initiative until Lyndon B. Johnson passed it and said, we're going to own black voters for the next 200 years. Their side has always been the same. The collectivist mindset is the same across these organizations. It doesn't matter whether you're dividing people by rich and poor or male and female or black and white. It's the same mindset. It leads to one thing, this thing. These people are not only a little racist, they are insanely racist. If you want to know my full argument on this, okay, I wrote a piece and read it on the podcast last year called Apocalypse Now. This is in the middle of the summer. I think maybe I wrote it like in the middle of July or at the end of June or something. But scroll back. This is before high noon started. So just scroll all the way back until the high noons disappear and it'll be right there. It's called Apocalypse Now. And if you want to read it, it's uh, on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. And uh, it might be behind the paywall, but honestly, I've been doing this free for a long time. So if you want to read it, I guess pay for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I go deep into a bunch of their racist arguments and I go into the statistics and I go into other cases. I think it's like, I think it was like 55 pages long. That thing was no joke. So check that out if you want to hear me talk about that subject more. But this whole narrative, if we were in a normal information environment where people told one another the truth and we could trust the media to tell us the truth, none of us would have any questions about this. It would be quite obvious that their race narrative is completely wrong and evil. Okay? They are dividing people. That is the only result of any of this. They have so far fixed zero problems. For my entire adult life, they have been talking about the same issues. Okay? Over 20 years, the same issues. And they've been exploiting the same voters. You think Democrats are made by cities? Like people go move to cities and they're like, wow, this Democrat thing is amazing. No. Democrats are made by social control. Democrats are also made out of nothing every year with election fraud. They literally conjure up Democrats. Oftentimes by ballot harvesting where in underserved minority communities, particularly amongst the elderly. Am I making this up? Of course not. I wonder, I really wonder how much Black Lives Matter was involved in ballot harvesting. I would really like to know that. And, you know, the answer could be zero. And I admit that. That's fine. And I'm not implying this to imply guilt without knowing. But I think that there's This is my own personal opinion. I think there's about 100% chance of that. That's not good. Especially while they're rewriting voter laws 
And Mark Zuckerberg is now allowed to just chuck his little drop boxes all over the city. That's not good. And speaking of election fraud, boom segue. Here's an article from The Hill on March 6th, that's Saturday. Advocates warn restrictive voting bills could end Georgia's record turnout by Eris Foley. Eris, A-R-I-S. Folly, sorry, F-O-L-L-E-Y, if you want to find it. That's why I tell you all of this information, right? So you guys can go find these articles yourself. I hope you know that. I'm not just like uh, obsessively reading every piece of a news article. Uh, Georgia voting rights advocates are worried Republicans are clawing back hard-won progress made in the state after it saw record turnout among voters in November's general election and the Senate runoffs earlier this year. Now, I just want to stop right there because this is a really, really... Uh, strange language trick that reporters use to cover up their own biases, right? They don't have to report this this way. They could be reporting objectively about the issue and then bring in people from both sides to make their case. All right. They are setting up in sentence number one that what they are going to be messaging to you is the narrative held by voting rights advocates. And we know what that means. These people are not actually advocating for voting rights. We have those. Or we used to have those. A new batch of bills making their way through Georgia's legislature are raising red flags among voting groups who say the state might not have seen the record turnout it did in the recent races if the bills were in place. Yeah, no kidding. You got record turnout because you cheated. You cheated and thought it was legal because a walking election fraud machine, Stacey Abrams, met up with a Republican communist, Romney, named Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp. And then we got a consent decree that makes all that election fraud legal or not legal, but allowed in 2020 to the point where courts will say they can't they can't decide oh that's not us we can't decide and to the to the point where people in congress say oh yeah you know i guess we got to trust the results i guess we got to trust the results it's abandoning democracy to contest the results no it would be abandoning democracy to have it be completely clear that one candidate beat the other candidate and then try to have that candidate installed anyway. That is exactly what they have done. That is not what anyone on Trump's side wants. They refused and are still refusing to show the country that the count of votes the way they have it was correct and legal. They have not done that. They have tried at every turn not to do that. There is a reason why. It is not an abandonment of democracy to challenge that. It is the only thing that will uphold democracy. Otherwise, our vote is gone forever. And I think people are understanding that or hopefully starting to. And it's funny that you know, Georgia is trying to get rid of all this illegal bullshit at the same time that the 
Congress and the Senate, now controlled by Democrats, are ready to end the filibuster to legalize all those voting standards. I assume so that they can one day make the argument that they're actually not guilty of treason because now all the treasonous things they did are legal because they made them legal after committing treason. That's cute. Does anyone put that past these people? I sure don't. In fact, that's exactly what's happening. Back to the article. I don't know that 5 million people would have been successful in casting ballots if the rules were some of the things they're proposing today, said Andrea Young, the executive director of American Civil Liberties Union of Georgia. Now, she's saying that not all of the 5 million voters who voted would have been able to. But it would be great if she told us how many would be gone. I'm sure she has that number. Because there's no way that the measures the Republicans in Georgia are trying to put in place could end the vote for such a large number of people who already should be voting. If they should be voting, then they're fine. Voter ID is the most common sense thing in the entire world, and it is not by any means racist. If you say it's racist, you're racist. Black people can get IDs, period. Black people can figure out how to vote, period. You don't believe that you're racist. Okay. End of story. So if they're passing common sense reforms to ensure election integrity, and this person is worried that an election changing number of people might not be able to vote because of it, that says a whole lot of those people are already people who shouldn't be voting. If they are people at all. They are most likely just ballots that got run through the machines at night. The elections bills filed by Georgia Republicans in recent weeks include legislation to end no excuse absentee voting. Good. And automatic voter registration. Good. Limit early voting on weekends. Good. And the period of time voters would be able would would have to request absentee ballots. Good. And require more identification to vote absentee. Good. This person's name, I don't know how to say this. Her name is NSE. So Nse Ufat, I hope that's right. Don't mean to be insulting. Founder of the New South Super PAC said if any of the election bills, including such restrictions, were a factor in November when Joe Biden narrowly <laughs> defeated then President Trump in the presidential election and Democrats Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff advanced to Senate runoff races, the outcome in the traditionally red state could have been entirely different. No kidding. If any one of these bills would have been on the books in November, it would have wiped out the margin that we saw. And that's essentially what they were trying to do. Yes, because you won the election illegally and fraudulently, a.k.a. didn't win. Said Ufat, uh, CEO of the New Georgia Project, a nonpartisan group that registered more than 50,000 Georgians to vote last year. Now, I'm guessing that if we pull on any thread of the organizations that are mentioned in this article, we will find a whole lot of bad things. So here's a candidate, the New Georgia Project and their CEO, Nse Ufat. 
also the founder of the New South Super PAC. So a super PAC and a voting project, New South and New Georgia. Hmm. How would you get that? And we're just supposed to, by the way, assume that all of the South is racist and that this is then justified. Oh, well, we need a new South. And and by that, we mean that because it's racist, if it wasn't racist, it would be Democrat. I mean, honestly, if no one was racist, then the whole country would be Democrat. And that's what we want. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. So you're saying you want the whole country to be Democrat? Yeah, well, you know, like we're the only ones looking out for racism and we're the only ones looking out for climate change. So yeah, I would like it for the whole country to be Democrat. So you want one party authoritarian rule? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Did I just admit to that? Yes, Kami, you did. It should be obvious to everyone what this is. The idea that it isn't obvious to everyone is one that I struggle with. I feel like they can actually see what it is. And that they just go ahead and rationalize or justify it because they think that they're getting the good end of it right now or that it's not bothering them or that maybe if enough concessions are made, the issues will just go away because they themselves don't want to have to confront the issues in the first place, which is why they don't ever read or learn about them. And then instead, they just repeat the slogans. Look at all the moral credit I can get without doing any work. Literally every communist, even the ones who might be redeemable commies are like that. In January, nearly 4.5 million ballots were cast in Georgia's pivotal U.S. runoffs, in which Warnock and Ossoff secured slim victories over then-Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. The figure was a record high for runoffs in the state, according to Georgia's Secretary of State. The Democratic wins, which tilted control of the upper chamber in the U.S. Congress to that party, came just months after the state flipped blue for a presidential candidate for the first time since 1992 in a general election that saw over 5 million ballots cast setting another high-water mark for total turnout. The same election also set a new high for the number of absentee by mail ballots cast. Republicans in the state have claimed the proposed voting measures are aimed at boosting election security and public trust in Georgia's elections. Here's a real winner of a, a phrase. After Trump pushed unsubstantiated claims about widespread voter fraud when he sought to overturn the results of the presidential election. That is 100% biased bullshit. There is no theft of voting that's been substantiated. Derek Johnson, CEO and president of the NAACP, told The Hill, the only thing we have seen is more energized, diverse, and engaged voter participation from many communities. Listen, that is just fundamentally untrue. And of course, he says it this way. There's no theft that's been substantiated. That's always how they say it, because they know that they can get away with the hasn't been substantiated part, and they feel like they're not actually lying. Like, just say there's no election fraud. And then we can just be like, yeah, you're a liar. Johnson said conservatives, quote, have decided to seek measures to strengthen the ability of voters to participate, end quote, when they should be, quote, expanding their agenda to be more inclusive. There you go, right? We will set voting back to normal once we have gotten everybody in the country to believe the same exact thing that we control full time. That's good. 
While Democrats have criticized the GOP-backed bills in Georgia as a response to their party's wins in the recent runoffs and presidential election, some also wonder whether the bills could hurt Republicans' chances in the state by making it more difficult for their own supporters to vote. Here's a clue. No. The interesting thing about voter suppression is that it's kind of like chemotherapy. It's thinking you're going to kill more the cells you don't want than you are the cells you do want. And so that's the gamble that they're making, Young said. From our perspective, it's wrong because it's making it more difficult for Georgia citizens to vote because all these measures are addressed at eligible Georgia, Georgia voters, she added. Well, who do you want them to be addressed at? <laughs> Ineligible Georgia voters don't need restrictions. They need to be not allowed to vote. Of course, they're not doing that either. They have no problem with rock the vote, putting in new registrants whenever they want, giving them and other private organizations ballot access, giving them uh, the access into the voter registration database so that they can uh, honestly just add new voters in. I've talked about this before, but the idea that they're not going and doing research on who's dying and who's moving and how they can funnel more names into this system and just create voters. They are doing that. Of course they're doing that. Why would you need rock the vote to help you? Why can't rock the vote? Just send the registrations in. They are real, right? Can't they be checked? By the clerks? No, that's too taxing on our bureaucracy. We're going to need a public-private partnership, just like with Facebook. Look how much they helped. And here's where they try to play the straight and narrow objective reporter. But really, they're just proposing the weakest form of a counterargument so that they can knock it back down. Because remember, the premise of this article is the reaction of voting rights advocates. And how they're mad about racism. It's not about whether or not this is a good idea. GOP State Senator Larry Walker, a sponsor of a few of the voting bills in Georgia, told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution last month that, quote, the purpose of this proposal is not to make it hard to cast a legal ballot, but to make it harder to cast an illegal ballot, end quote. Now, why couldn't the Hill contact him directly? Why are they using a quote of his from a newspaper last month? Does that make sense to anybody? Does that sound like good journalism? They couldn't have called his office and asked him to react to these quotes? Of course not. Let's just publish something that a different organization has him quoted as saying. That reason does not convince, convince most voting right advocates. Yeah, because they want to make it easier for people to cast illegal ballots. We really need to stop pretending like there's anything that is redeemable in any of these bills, Ufat said, adding that she thinks the bills, quote, are all designed, end quote, to create hurdles to vote for, quote, folks who want to access the franchise and who want to participate in our elections. How is this? This is like this is like child speak. Right. This is like when there's like a sixth grade debate team and the debate teams are being taught how to debate or whatever. But all they're really doing is recycling the arguments that they were told because they don't have the life experience to actually debate the things that they're talking about. That's the intellectual level that's presented here by this woman. 
folks who want to access the franchise and want to participate in our elections. Oh, really? Well, you know, if that's your concern, then you might be also concerned about the other necessary factor that you can't forget, which is that every time you allow someone illegal to cast an illegal ballot, you have stripped away the vote of a real legal voter. That should be the conversation. The voter suppression right now is happening entirely on the left. This is just another thing that the communists are projecting on the other side so that when they are accused of it, it sounds absurd to commies. Oh, that's the bunk. That's already on the other side. We know that voter suppression is mainly a racial issue in the South. And it's not about the fact that we just shoveled 15 million ridiculous fraudulent ballots into this election to say that Joe Biden actually won. That's not suppressing anybody's vote. Only the 80 million or so people who voted for Donald Trump. And yeah, I said 80 because we know that ballots got thrown out. Not just vote switched in the computers and not just fraudulent ballots on the other side. Actual Trump ballots, Republican ballots being thrown out completely. That affects a whole lot of races. I wonder if Mark Elias is still up in New York arguing that ballots should be thrown out and that there was machine fraud to get back 12 ballots for his Democrat candidate that he's up there working for. I wonder how that thing turned out. I haven't looked. This is ridiculous. The new Georgia project is under investigation by Georgia's Republican secretary of state regarding its methods to help register some of these voters in a probe that Ufot called partisan and racist. Shocking. What they're responding to with these bills is a historic election where the people that have been historically disenfranchised or disincentivized from participating in our elections because they thought that their vote didn't count. They participated and they participated in massive numbers this year. Again, a childlike response. It is the same response as the last response. All these news articles now do in these communist uh, media outlets, which I now count the hill among, is they repeat the same thought over and over again throughout the article. And they love to do it from, from different people saying the same thing. Because then that gives the sense of, oh, everybody knows this is how it is. Everybody knows that police officers kill more black people than white people. Despite what the evidence says, right? Everybody knows. Everybody knows we're all going to die in 10 years if we don't stop using plastic straws. Everybody knows that. The number of things that everybody knows in the communist realm that are actually true is zero. All of the things that everybody knows in the communist realm are false. Great Reagan quote on that. I'm going to, I'm going to bungle it, but he basically said, it's not that my liberal friends don't know anything. It's that they know all sorts of things that don't happen to be true. According to new data released by the Pew Research Center last December, more than 520,000 new voters have registered in the state since 2016. That's an entire, that would have been one-ninth of their entire voter population, right? If there's 5 million now, 
500 some odd thousand of them are new. That means they used to have 4.5 million. A full ninth, 11% of the overall voting number has increased. Why? How? The research revealed significant gains made by Latino registered voters, a group that had grown at nearly the same rate as their white counterparts in the four year span, despite being dwarfed by white registered voters, 260,000 to 3.8 million in 2016. Asian registered voters, a group that totaled 188,000 in October 2020, grew also grew by 63,000 in the same time frame, according to the center. Black voters saw the biggest spike in registration when compared to the other racial groups, the center said, with an increase of nearly 130,000 people added to the voter rolls between October 2016 and October 2020. The group accounted for about a fourth of the increase of new registered voters seen in the state in the four-year period. Now, if actual black Georgians are signing up and registering to vote, wonderful, wonderful. Every real person who is legal to vote should be able to vote, period. It's not about race at all. Every single one. And I'm going to skip around a little bit because this article goes on and on and on. The NAACP's Johnson told The Hill that there is, quote, a new energy to adopt known voting suppression tactics to limit access to voting, end quote, in the nation as a result of Republican Party losing two Senate seats in Georgia and coupled with Trump's defeat in November. A bunch of what has taken place is perhaps the most aggressive voter suppression initiative we have seen across the country since the 50s, he added. Of course, got to be back in the 50s, right? It's got to be back in the 50s. Because this has to be about race. And they got to talk to the NAACP guy. That's what it's got to be. A new energy to adopt known voter suppression tactics to limit access to voting. How can a person be taken seriously saying this while the House of Representatives is trying to, and the Senate will probably follow them, and then Joe Biden, if he's still alive, will sign it into whatever the mirror world has as a law. But how can he be saying this while HR one is on the table? This is the most significant expansion, or I shouldn't even say expansion because they're not expanding rights. The rights already exist. The rights don't need expanding. The laws need following as is true for most of the problems in our society. But right now, this is the single biggest attempt to destroy election integrity in the history of the country. It's unbelievable. It is totally unbelievable what they're trying to do. I've talked about HR1 before on one of these podcasts. I don't want to rehash it. But go look it up. This is what they're going to end the filibuster over. Because they know there's no other way they're ever going to win another election. This guarantees them power forever. And yes, they're going to let some Republicans win just like they did this year because those Republicans provide the perfect foil for them. As of February 19th, more than 250 bills that include provisions that would restrict voter access are under consideration in 43 states, according to the Brennan Center State Voting Bills Tracker. Of those bills, more than a dozen, all backed by Republicans, have been filed in the Georgia General Assembly alone. Good. There's another paragraph down near the bottom where 
Uh, The groups said proponents of the bill failed to provide sufficient evidence backing, quote, vague claims that vote by mail procedures in Georgia are not secure, end quote. Now, three things, and then I'm going to get going for the day, okay? One, Ruby Freeman, that's not secure. Two, shredding ballots in Cobb County, that's not secure. Three, 94% of ballots sent to adjudication in the Dominion machines in Fulton County. That is not secure. That's not even a little bit secure. Again, in a normal media environment where the news actually reported what was happening, I think that there are still enough redeemable commies in this country to look at information like that when presented And think, wow, yeah, that's just obviously fraudulent. We have gotten to a point so far removed from reality that you can tell people. Actually, you know what? I would love to quiz a commie this. Hey, if you were going, like if you had all the money and power in the world, and I know you're a commie, so you want to put all your people in power. If you wanted to make it so that you could look like you always won elections, even though you didn't, what methods would you use to cheat? Anyone who knows anything about voting rights and voting laws would list all of the things that they did. In fact, that's how they did those things. Obama's uh, own guy, what the hell was his name? Uh, David Pluff wrote a whole book about this stuff. They literally study all the different ways that they can steal elections. This isn't like some fly-by-night organization. This is a massive infrastructure of election stealing. That's why they have to navigate all the different laws in the different states differently. That's why the federal government right now is trying to flatten all that out so that they can make whatever changes they want. They don't have to go through a state that doesn't want their election laws changed. The Constitution says state governments, state legislatures make these decisions. We have multiple states in 2020 that already didn't do that. And now we're trying to open an opportunity for all of them to. That's terrible. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. 
It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm your moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!